Okay, we're going to look at chapter 20, a few verses in chapter 22, but before we go into 22, we're, we're going into 21 to touch on what we talked about last week. Now, toward the end of the class, when we were down in verse 25, I believe it was, uh, I'll, I'll give this to you in... This is going to relate to what we're going to get to in chapter 22. But those of you that were here, we talked about the uh, verse, actually verse 9, 10, and 11, where the angel comes to John and he tells him, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife, and then he carries him away and he shows him New Jerusalem. And there are various thoughts related to this. Is he showing him a city that will be a literal city, or is he showing him the bride, the lamb's wife? And if you can actually get a hold of that and see, I personally believe he's talking about the bride, because he says, I'm going to show you, then he shows him holy Jerusalem descending out of, of heaven as a bride prepared uh, for... Um, her husband, as it says in verse 2. And with that thought, if you, ha if, you ha if you can hold that thought, and then you begin to look at the gates, and you look at the, the walls and the different stones and gems and all that, then it begins to relate, as I see it, to the character that is found in the bride. All those things relate to the bride. Now, when you come down to verse and as I said last week, if someone believes it's going to be a literal city per se, like the cities we see now, like Jerusalem, I mean, that's fine. But I don't believe that's what God's after. He doesn't want his glory necessarily to dwell in a temple made with hands. He's interested in man being his habitation. When you come down to verse 23... And the city had no need of sun, neither moon, to shine in it. And then the word I want to show you there is it. And then in verse 24, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. Once again. Uh, and then uh, the very end of the verse, and they do bring their glory and honor into it. Verse 26, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Now, it is a personal pronoun. This is translating uh, a personal pronoun from the Greek, and that personal pronoun can indicate he, she, or it. And it can indicate identity. So, as I the more I got into that, there, there's also called a definite article that is used in the Greek, and depending on where the definite article is used uh, related to this personal pronoun defines or helps define what is talked about. And this personal pronoun, or excuse me, this definite article is mentioned with the pro personal pronoun. The article is 3450 in the Strong's, uh, and the other one 
this word it is actually autos. That's how you pronounce it in the Greek. It's Strong's number 840. But even if you look into it and you get, try to get to the bottom of it, it still leaves the question. It could be translated as it is, it, or it can be translated her. So depending upon, once again, how you're seeing and what you're seeing leading up to that will determine whether you're seeing this as an it or a her. Now, I believe it's a her, speaking of the bride. Not, he's not talking, as I see it, about a literal building. Now, he's seeing something in spirit that is descending, and the only way John can describe that is through this terms of the New Jerusalem, and he sees these characteristics moving in those that compose the bride, and he, he compares them to these different um, stones, the jasper stone and the sapphire and, and so on, the beryl and so, and so on. And so he's taking that which he may be familiar with and, and have no, has known as far as uh, the certain gems, and he's relating that to what he is seeing. But I don't believe he's seeing a literal city. He's seeing something literal, yes, but he's not seeing a physical city a brick-and-mortar-type city like we would relate to it. He's seeing something different. He's describing something different. Uh, and the context, to me, indicates that he's describing the bride, the lamb's wife. So re remember, he is seeing something here that has never, ever, ever been seen before. Now, if you were to see something that's never, ever been seen by anyone else, and you would be asked to describe that in a way that others would understand it, that would be pretty hard, wouldn't it? Especially if they're not the ones seeing it. So he draws upon the language of the day to try to portray what he's seeing in spirit. And that's basically all you can do. Whenever you minister the gospel, the Lord gives you something, you give what you see, and you allow, and that's, the, that's actually the end of it, you cannot make people see what you see. It's impossible. You can teach and teach and teach and teach. You cannot make them see what you're seeing. It's only by revelation. It's only by the Spirit of God coming and opening up their eyes will they see. And so this is throughout the Bible. The Lord just says things. Paul just comes out and he says things. You say, why doesn't he explain what he's saying and what he means? Because... It doesn't matter if he spends two hours explaining what he sees unless the Spirit of God comes and touches and, and opens up the eyes, people won't understand. But if he does, then they will begin to see and understand even though the, the, um, the definites, the, um, I don't want to use that, but uh, all, all the little things aren't explained. It doesn't matter because they'll catch that. And so that's, that's what the Lord does in, in throughout the Bible. And especially here in Revelation 21, you either catch this or you don't. You'll either say, I don't believe that, and people do that. They say, I don't believe that. And, I mean, that's, that's okay, but it's, where they're, it's because of where they are, what they're seeing, what they're not seeing. And, uh, and that's that. Now, 
in verse 25, and the gates of her, I'll, I'll use the word, the pronoun her, shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into her. And there shall in no wise enter into her, I don't know if that's, um, or enter in, I don't even know if that word it is in the, in the Greek, anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, the book of life. Now, when you come down, remember, there's no break in the Greek. We took a break from one week to the next. We stopped at chapter 21, and we're moving to chapter 22. But in the original, this is all connected. And sometimes I wonder if it's not better to sit, sit there and teach for 17 or, tw or 20 hours straight to get all the... <laughs> to get it all together sometimes. I know, I know you can't do that. But the, the problem is that whenever we stop at the break sometime between chapters, we're missing what has led up to that. And that's why sometimes I like to go back and bring us to where we're going here. So he uses the word and. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of, the Lamb, of God and of the Lamb. Uh, the word river is a stream, means a stream or a drinkable running water. Now, once again, you have to see that he's talking about something spiritual. He's not talking about something literal. Now, I shouldn't say that. He's not talking about necessarily something physical, although he is seeing this. Um, He's not relating to just some river that is flowing. He is seeing something that no man has seen either. Actually seeing, and I don't, I don't know how to say, I don't even know how to say this. But he is seeing that which is in spirit... But remember that at that time, once this life is passed, we will receive new bodies, resurrected bodies, and we'll see a new heaven and a new earth. What they will be like, we don't know. But John is seeing something there. It's in spirit, but now it becomes a tangible thing that can be seen. But it won't be as we would see a river now. It's, it's going to be different. It's going to have other characteristics. And I want to show you this here as we go on. He says here, And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Now, one of the things that you see with this is, if you'll remember, when we looked at verse 11, chapter 21, it talks about, uh, the bride having the glory of God, and her light was like a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Clear, clear, pure as crystal. And then down in verse 18, and the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, the word pure, like unto clear glass. You see here, 
in these two verses that the bride has taken on the characteristics of that which we see in verse 22, which is proceeding out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Speaking of this river of water of life. See, that which has proceeded out from God, that which has come from the Lamb of God, from the throne, has with it certain characteristics that are taken in as you drink water, same principle, taken in by those who become the bride. And remember when we talked about the seven spirits of God, the same thing. That's basically the same thing, sent out into all the earth, sent out in order to work in those whom he can work in, to bring about certain characteristics that will be in, intrinsically in the bride, throughout the bride. That is why you see her described as, as a river of, of pure, pure, transparent, if you want, however you want to say it, gold, as crystals, uh, her, her light was as jasper, as, a, as cu- clear as crystal. And so you see those characteristics there in her. In, in verse 22, he showed me a pure, clear. See, one of the things God is interested in in the Christian is to purify the Christian. He wants you to stand before him someday in purity. Now, turn to Ezekiel 47. Now, in Ezekiel 47, it's talking about, or he has this vision of this water issuing out from uh, from underneath the the threshold of uh, the house of God or the temple. But just turn back to chapter 43 for a minute. In chapter 43, we'll read a couple verses, and in these verses, the Lord shows Ezekiel the purpose, his purpose for entering into the temple, and his purpose for entering into the temple is to dwell with his people. So he is interested in being close to his people, and so he takes measures to bring about that closeness. The Lord takes measures to bring about a closeness between him and and those he wants to eventually inhabit. See, the Lord is not interested in dwelling in a house made with hands. He's interested in indwelling and and that his people would become his habitation. So in Ezekiel 43, he shows Ezekiel the purpose for entering into the temple. And we'll just go through this very quickly. Verse 7, And he said unto me, Son of man, the place of, of my throne and the place of, my, the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever, and my holy name shall, uh, shall the house of Israel no more defile. And he just goes on. We won't read the rest. But you see that, that spot right there where he talks about uh, in dwelling in the midst of the children of Israel. So this is upon the Lord's heart. He desires that. He's not interested in a physical temple, although he did dwell there to come closer to them, but God wasn't satisfied with that. 
He wants them to be his habitation. In Ezekiel 47, we see that he says, Afterward he brought me again unto the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house. And, and that there, the word um, issued is a participle. And of course, in the English, you see the ED on the end, and that, that's telling you it's a participle. And what he's saying here is that this is a continuous flow. See, there is a continuous flow out from the temple of God, or out from God, if you will, to whosoever will. Whoever will take and drink of the waters of life freely can do that. See, the waters flow out, and in this particular portion of Scripture, verse 3, toward the latter end, says the waters were to the ankles. So this is how Ezekiel is seeing that. The, the water was flowing out from under the, the door of the temple, and it flows down, and he, he goes so far, and it's to his ankles. And then he goes a little further, and it says in verse 4 that the waters were to his knees. And he brought, and he, and brought me through, and the waters were to the loins. And afterward he measured, verse 5, a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, risen waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. So... The Lord wants the Christian not to dwell in the water to the ankles, but that by walking with him, see, when you go to the shore, and I'll just use this as an illustration, and you go into the ocean, you first step in, the water is along your feet, along your ankles, and so on. Well, how are you going to get in waters to swim in? You have to continue to walk. And as you walk and you proceed and you go out further, it'll come to your knees, your waist, and so on. So it is in spirit, the Lord desires the Christian to walk with him daily where he is dealing with them, how he is touching them, what he's re, uh, requiring of them, what surrender he wants from them, and, and all these different things, so that by their response... They move further, they continue to walk with him, <clears throat> and that takes them to a place where they'll begin to move deeper and deeper and deeper and eventually into this area where the waters are, are real deep. Now, back in Revelation, and we didn't read all the verses in <coughs> chapter 47, but the water comes out of the temple, uh, and um, it's probably speaking about the power of God through the word, through the gospel, to change an individual. Because whenever you go down in Ezekiel 47 to verse 11, it talks about the bog or the, the miry uh, area that will not be changed, and that's a type of the heart of those who are obstinate, those who will not respond to the gospel. That, that remains as it is, um, a, a, a marshy ground, never, ever changing. But those who walk with him, those who are not obstinate, who the Lord can work with, can move further and, and come to the place where God wants them to come. So in verse 20, 
chapter 22, verse 1 again, we'll begin. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. <coughs> now, it's very difficult. I'm going to try to use another translation. I looked at this in the Greek, but I have trouble because I can't read Greek. Uh, and it becomes a hindrance to seeing certain things. In verse 2 in the King James, who has, everybody have the King James here or any other translation? Okay. Amplify, we'll be looking at that. NIV, okay. I'm, I'll be reading from the King James. And in the midst or in the middle of the street of it. Now, this word street is the same word we saw before, and it means a wide or a broad place. The Amplified says, through the middle of the broad way. So he's talking about a broad area here. So in the middle of this broad area, and I'll read this from the King James and we'll come back. And on either side of the river was the tree of life. Now, there's words here that are added by the translators that are not in the Greek. And the phrase, was there the, in verse 2, is added. And then there's another word later on here in the verse that's added. So I believe it would be better if, let me read it from the Amplified, through the middle of the broad way of the city. Uh, and, and from the Greek, it seems to be saying, from that place, tree of life, the tree of life. So, in the middle of this wide place, and, and he uses the word it, and it is referring to the city, and the city, I believe, is meaning the bride. So, in, is, is he talking about some heavenly place here, or is he still talking about, in this portion right here, about the bride? Uh, if he's talking about the bride, and I'll say if, this is really something. Now, let me ask you a question. Who in here, and I know you all are going to say yes, who in here has received the life of God. We all have. Okay. The life of God proceeded from the throne of God to you, basically, through Christ, through his death and resurrection and all that, the gospel, the, you know. Redemption has come to us. Now, he showed me a pure river of water of life. Now, do not Christians have a pure water of life in them? What did Jesus say? That out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Didn't he say that? See, that's the same character, characteristic that we see at the throne of God proceeding out from, from God. And in the middle of... This wide place, and on, see, I don't like to even say that. And from that place was the tree of life, which bare twelve fruits, 
that yielded her fruit every month. So I don't know, I, I don't know what. Now, let me read this from the Amplified because I like it. It says, through the middle of the broad way of the city. It doesn't use the word it. It uses the word city. Also on either side or both sides of the river, um, the tree of life with its 12 varieties of fruit. So I don't know. Is it talking now about some city? Or is it talking about what is found in the bride? I don't know. That's why I'd like to know Greek. <laughs> because it may, there may be some things in there that actually are able to bring it out, but there may not be. It may be something that God has to open someone's eyes to see. Now, it's interesting here. It says that there were 12 fruits, uh, and it yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, you know yourself that the pattern of growth that we experience here on the earth now is seasonal. You know, you can only grow so much. Did you know that even in warm climates, there's a season? They have seasons. They're different than here, than the colder climates, but they still have season. They, they can't grow everything anytime they want, unless they're growing it through hydroponics or something like that. But a normal uh, planting outside there's still season. Here, things are changed. Remember in Genesis, God cursed the ground and the ground did not produce like it did before. Now the curse is lifted and now there's going to be a production like never before. Now, it says in Genesis, what did God curse in Genesis? What else? <laughs> well, okay. Okay, well, that's not really, you could call it a curse, I guess. I can't deny that, but I mean, that's not actually, the word isn't used there, put it that way. Can anybody tell me if there's anything else that was cursed in the beginning? Does it get you thinking? The serpent. The serpent was cursed. That's two things you see cursed. The serpent and the ground. You don't see man cursed. God doesn't curse man. But later on, as you continue away from Genesis, then you start seeing all kinds of other things. You say, you say if, if you are obedient, if you're disobedient, then you see the curse coming upon you. But God never cursed man like he did the ground and Satan. But in this context here, all that is lifted, and there's going to be a production. Now, I can't help but to think, and I'm just saying this. I, I mean, I have no way to know this. I mean, I never actually really thought about it to actually sit down and say, okay, Lord, is this in the Scripture somewhere? But we have been born with a carnal nature, with a sin nature, and the curse of sin has come upon us and has touched us and has, you know, affected us. Now, when all that is 
gone and all that is lifted, what we're seeing here is a production, rather than it be seasonal, it's going to be a production every single month. So I can't help but to wonder if once the, sin, the curse of sin is lifted from the, all, of the, all of the world, all of man, if the production in, inner, that which is produced in you, out from you, or whatever, if that will change. You know, what comes now that the Lord has done certain things in your life, and now you have a resurrected body, and you're fulfilling some purpose in eternity. Now, will there be an increase in what is produced out from you now? I mean, I don't know. What is actually yielding here? What is bringing forth a yield? In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve fruits. So he's talking about the tree of life. Now remember, the tree of life was extended out from God, and you have become a partaker of that. So it's quite possible now that that tree of life will produce not just you know, in this, this fertile planet in this ground, but it may be producing out from the bride, out from Christians. That may be what's going on here. For whatever purpose, I have no idea. I don't know what God's going to do, you know, who knows how many years, eons from now. I don't know. But whatever it is, it's going to be something far beyond what we thought. And that which has affected us and kept us on a earthly level, if you know what I'm saying, you know, we think, we act, we do many times related to the earthly level. And even though we have been bathed in the word of God and we understand many things, still how we relate to the Lord and how the Spirit can, can bring things to us is very limited. You know, how many of you have ever planted a garden? Nobody. Yeah. No. Well, you have to do this. Well, little one. Well, still. Now, have you ever gone and turned the dirt over? <clears throat> I was turning the dirt over uh, yesterday in a couple of spots. And you see those little worms that are come out in there? Have any of you ever tried to communicate with a worm? Sounds pretty funny, huh? Well, think about that. Who in the Bible says, I am a worm? Somebody in the Old Testament said that. Is it uh, David? Anybody know? Someone in the Old Testament said, I am a worm. For God to take all of his infinite wisdom and to communicate with us and show us things is almost like us trying to communicate to a worm. I mean, for us to understand what, what God is and understand what he knows and understand what he's going to do, it's like us trying to communicate to some bug. It's pretty tough. I mean, I, I couldn't do it. But remember, there's a spot in Revelation where Paul says that whenever he said, Blessing, I, th I believe it says blessing, glory, honor. He says, and, and everything in and under the earth heard I say, 
blessing, glory, honor. Well, how is that possible? He's talking about all of creation. How, how did they hear that? Because there's going to be a means of communication that none of us ever had any idea could be possible. There's going to be a communication there between, I guess, nature, everything. So maybe, maybe then the bug will communicate and say, why did you step on me? <laughs> I don't know. But the point being is, you know, we can't understand and know what God's going to do in the future. So in verse 3, now remember, the curse is lifted, and there shall be no more curse, verse 3, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. <coughs> the curse cannot exist where the throne of God is. And that's why you see that both of those things in the same verse there, right beside each other. And there shall be no more curse. All the vegetation will grow on a scale it's never seen since the Garden of Eden. And the curse and all its hindrances will be gone. Verse 4. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Now, I'll read a couple verses. Exodus 3, 6. Moreover, he said... I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of, A of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So Moses did not look upon God, he says. He was just afraid. And then in Exodus 33, 20, he says, And he said, thou, can't, thou cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. God says that. And then in Deuteronomy 4.12 says, And the Lord spoke unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude, only ye heard a voice. But in this context here, they shall see his face. See, that, that's going to change too. I, I think it's quite possible that in our natural state here in a physical body, that we probably could not look at God and live. Have you ever wondered why the Lord does not? Now, you've all experienced this, been in a church service where the presence of God comes upon you. And there have been times for me personally where the presence of God was so strong. I remember years ago, I was standing there in church service. There was probably 25 of us in a circle and we were standing there praising God and the presence of God was so strong that people could not stand. You literally could not stand and they were just falling, just collapsing. And I backed up, you know, me, you don't know me. I backed up and I said, there's no way I'm falling. And so I got myself next to a wall. I was only about that far away anyway. And so what happened was the Lord came upon me so strongly that he knocked me back, and I was stuck on the wall. I couldn't move. And finally, I got back up and went back down. And that was me trying to keep, up, keep from not falling on the ground. Probably should have just fell and got it over with. But see, the Lord does not come upon us in 
that type of a, 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 um, his presence for a prolonged period of time because I don't believe physically we could take it. Your body it starts to, it's like your, your heart races. I don't know if you've ever had this. Where, and there's reasons why he does that, and, and I believe the atmosphere has to be correct. You can't have everybody running around, walking through the church, doing, ah, get a, get a Panera bagel, and, you know, and all the kids carrying on. You have to have, be a, a, have a heart of reverence waiting for him. And in the, that setting, many times, he comes, but he will not stay for a long period of time upon a person. Because I remember one time I thought I was going to die. I thought I was actually going to die because I was a younger man. Because the presence of God was so strong, my heart was just pounding, and I just felt like it's like the Lord was just going to push me down, like right down into the ground. And it was wonderful. I mean, like, you ever get the goose pimples and all the way to the, the, the uh, follicles of your hair? And it's like, it was quite something. And then his presence lifted. See, in our physical bodies, we can't take so, so much. We think we can, but we can only take so much. The presence of God will kill you if it came. And, and same with seeing him, I believe. At this time, we will have a resurrected body, and you know that's not going to die. It's not going to be affected like, like that, in that way. And it's probably one of the reasons why the Lord waits. I mean, I don't know for sure, but it seems to me that from what I see in the scripture here, that he says here, for uh, there shall no man see me and live. So... God veils himself. Today he veils himself. How does God veil himself to the world? In various ways. He veils himself in nature. He veils himself in you. So that people see you. They don't see the Lord, do they? They see you. They see your physical body. So he, he hides himself. God, God hides himself a lot from people. But here he won't do that any longer. And there shall, uh, shall, verse 5, shall be no night there, and, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. Now, this phrase here, these sayings are faithful and true, is used only three times in the Bible. It's used every time in Revelation. The first time in Revelation 3.14, it's speaking of Jesus as the faithful and true witness. In 19.11, it speaks of the one on the horse, meaning Jesus, who is called faithful and true. And then this context here, it's speaking of his sayings. His sayings, what he says, what he communicates is faithful and true. And one of the characteristics of faithfulness is seen in Revelation uh, in those that are, you know, with him. When he come, remember when it says when he comes back the second time? It says those that are with him. Uh, let me read that. Uh, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called, are called chosen and faithful. 
See the same characteristic. You see that in Jesus. You see that in his word. You see that in those that are close to him. So that was Revelation 17, 14. And then let's move on down to verse 10. And he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now there's a contrast between this verse and what we see in Daniel. Daniel 8.26 says, the Lord says, The vision of the evening and morning that has been given you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. So he tells Daniel, in one instance there, he says, Seal up the book, you know, and that's for, for the future. Now in Revelation, he tells John, you know, Don't seal up the, the sayings of this prophecy, because the time is at hand. Verse 11, now this is, I should have read this in another translation. In the King James says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Let me see what it says in the Amplified here. And Daniel says this, and I believe this will, it almost seems as though he's saying, well, just let them be the way they are. You know, forget about them. But there's a verse, and I think it's Ecclesiastes, it says, when a tree falleth and it falls to the north, that's where it falls. The tree falls to the south, that's where it falls. And that's the way it is. And that's the way it is with people. The people that are uh, filthy and unjust, like the tree that falls, that's the direction it fell, that's the way they're going to, you know, be. And there are people that, uh, just a few weeks ago, an individual said to me, he says, yeah, he says, I'm going to hell and I know it. And I think he was trying to get a certain response from me. But <clears throat> there are people that say with their mouth, it's a frightful thing to me, but to some people it's not, that, you know, I want to go to hell you know, because all my friends are going to be there. Well, I, I could care less. I'd rather not suffer with my friends if that's where they want to go. But, you know, that's the way people, they, they set their face, so to speak, against God, and they know that this is their time here, and they'll pay the, the price, whatever that is, later. But in Daniel, it says, Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked, basically, what I was saying. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So you are the wise ones, you understand, and the reason I know that is because you're directing your life toward the Lord, you're directing your life the right way, and that's the wise, and the wise understand. But the wicked, they continue to be wicked. That's their life, that's where they, you know, where they are, point their heart. And then verse 17 to finish. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Now this is what John is seeing and hearing this. And there is in this portion of scripture a cry made by the spirit and by the bride who has come into union with Christ, 
they're in this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful relationship. They are in this thing that is so pure and so good and so wonderful and so perfect that there is this compulsion out from them that goes along and, and moves with and in agreement with the Holy Spirit to call back through the, the annals of time to whoever will listen, anybody who will listen, anyone, saying the Spirit and the Bride say, come, come, come. And that is a call to become ready, a call that goes out to everyone, goes out even tonight to you and myself, to become ready to allow the Lord to work in our lives, to bring us to a place where we are ready and, and willing to lay our lives down and to walk with Him in order for Him to prepare us to become a part of the Bride of Christ. And let Him that heareth say, Come, not just read the Bible, not just hear somebody read this, but someone that actually in spirit hears this. If you actually are able to hear this, that'll be the cry in your heart toward others to whomever is come, come, come. Leave your life of sin. Leave your selfish ways. Leave your will as a Christian and come. And let him that is a thirst, remember thirst is a beginning point always. You have to thirst before God can bring you into other things, before he can make you overcome. You have to thirst. And so him that is a thirst, come. That's, that's the direction, moving out from where you are toward him. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. So the invitation is there for all, for all. And so the Lord has prepared all that he can for you personally to get you and I to walk in the way, to walk with him in the place he desires us to walk so that he can do in you miraculous things. And... That's our God. He's able to bring us to places where we, we would say, no, I don't want to go. But, hey, he's able to do that. And then when we go, we find out it's wonderful. I'll tell you, we don't understand sometimes. And I've shared with you about going on the mission field, you know, going out there and not wanting to go at all. The last thing I wanted to do. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll go, but I don't want to go. And he knew my heart. And so I went, and it was wonderful, wonderful. The last time I went down to Peru, uh, I did a seminar for pastors, and there was such a hunger for, from some of the pastors. The one guy kept on saying, don't stop, don't stop. I said, well, I think I'm going to say, 
I said, I said, you guys had enough? He went, no, no. It's like he was sucking it up and sucking it up. And it's like I wanted to just continue on, but they, they gave me so much time. And it was just wonderful, wonderful. It's so nice to be able to minister the Word of God and have a real hungry heart there. It's just like it makes up for some of those that are kind of, eh, you know, eh. Makes up for the ones that sometimes you feel a little resistance from them when, you, when you're teaching. And, and this guy, there was a couple of them that just, <clears throat> they made up for a few of the others. But some of them were kind of cautious because they didn't know who I was. You know. And if, if you're listening to someone, you have to kind of say, okay, well, what's going on here? Is this guy teaching you know, heresy or, or whatever? Whatever they were thinking, I don't know. But the majority of them were were very, uh, very open. It was very good. And, uh, and then when we went to some of the churches, the, the one church I went to, I had to take a message of correction. They didn't know me. I never saw them before. I never saw the pastor, but I knew there, were, there, were this, there needed to be correction brought out, and that was, was brought out in the message. And that wasn't fun. Believe me, it wasn't fun. But it's, it's amazing what the Lord, if you are just willing, that's all you need to do is just be willing. He can do things and bring you into a place where you will experience in the inner man things you never experienced. You will experience a closeness with him. You will experience a walk in a different way uh, than you ever had before. And, you know, we want to move on with God. We want to draw close to him, don't we? That's our desire. That's why we come here. You know, you're not coming here just to hear some lesson. You want to draw close to God. And so he'll take you in places like that. And in those places, you'll say, this is absolutely wonderful. I mean, it's just quite the opposite than whenever you first started and didn't want to go. And then when you come back from, I'm just relating this to the mission field. It doesn't necessarily have to be the mission field. But then when you come back and you, you, you say, this was really something. And the Lord has taken you spiritually from here and he's put you down in the dirt and you come back with a totally different heart. And it's like, wow, Lord, I didn't think I could possibly go that low. And he says, okay. He says, the elevator hasn't hit the bottom yet take you down a few more levels, but that'll be later. And it's, you're in this place, you're saying, wow, this is so good, so good. But you know, we have to just surrender to him and let him work in our lives. It's not hard. It really isn't. You know what it is? It's our wills are a lot stronger than we think. That's the problem. See, we think that because we became a Christian that, you know, our wills have been and, and, and they have, when you first surrender to Christ, your will has come down below him, you know. But he wants to get it more out of the picture. And so what happens is we find out that we are not as low as we thought. And we get this little, you know, you know, a little, like a little hissy fit, like they call it. And we won't allow the Lord to take us into something. But remember that he's very gracious and he'll take us slowly. That's what I like about him. He's taking me slowly because he knows me. And 
if he would have done some things in my life first off, I may have gone another way. So he's very patient, and he works with us. And when he sees we're at the point where we're totally overwhelmed and we're not going to make it, and sometimes he'll intervene in that for us, and then he'll give us a little break. Don't tell anybody I said that. But once in a while, the Lord will give you a break, and things will be okay for you. You'll just kind of like be on the even keel, so to speak, and you'll be able to go, and it won't be a, a big deal. And for me in my life, it, it's been circumstances have been pressing, and then he eases up, and I walk with him for a while, and then you know he'll bring something else. But you know, at least it's not a continual thing. Because he knows, well, some people, maybe it is, I don't know. Uh, it depends on the heart, how much a person can, can handle. Now, I can't handle too much at one time. So the Lord takes, takes easy with me. So because of that, I have prayed and asked the Lord for more years. Not because I want to stick around. I really don't. I'd rather go. But there is more he wants to do in my life. And out from me, others need to benefit. Uh, others need to see things. And because of that, I ask the Lord to be gracious and help me along. But remember, you as an individual, as a Christian, the Lord will take you deeper if you desire. There's tons of Christians that are out there, many, many Christians who are not progressing at all. There are those who don't go deeper in God. They have no desire to. There's no desire there. And they are where they are, and they're not growing. They're not, uh, they don't have the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation there uh, to, to help them. And they just don't really progress too far at all. And we know some of them. We've seen some of them. You have recently. But see, you need to have a desire for God to go, to go deeper, and he'll take you deeper. And you'll, will, you'll really, really, really come out with something of value in you. See, the Lord wants to make you a valuable Christian. Have some value to you. So. Okay, we'll conclude our study in the book of Revelation. Revelation.